Thanks for listening in. As you can already tell, the audio is much, much better. So I recently got a Yeti microphone, so no more white background noise, yay. And I absolutely love the way this sounds that it inspired me to take a new approach. So I love stories as much as the next person, but I know that a lot of people do ASMR reading fairy tales. However, I wanted to try reading some Greek mythology, and I'm sure someone else has done it too, but just here's my take on it. So the title of the book I'll be reading from is Heroes, Gods, and Monsters of the Greek Myths by Bernard Evslin. sister Rhea, goddess of earth. Now, Kronos had become king of the gods by killing his father, Uranus, the first one. The dying Uranus had prophesied, saying, you murder me now and steal my throne, but one of your own sons will dethrone you, for crime begets crime. So Kronos was very careful, one by one, He swallowed his children as they were born. First, three daughters, Hestia, Demeter, and Hera. Then two sons, Hades and Poseidon. One by one, he swallowed them all. Rhea was furious. She was determined that he would not eat her next child, who she felt sure would be a son. When her next time came, she crept down the slope of Olympus to a dark place to have a baby. It was a son, and she named him Zeus. She hung a golden cradle from the branches of an olive tree and put him to sleep there. Then she went back to the top of the mountain. She took a rock and wrapped it in swaddling clothes and held it to her breast, humming a lullaby. Kronos came snorting and bellowing out of his great bed, snatched the bundle from her, and swallowed it and all. Rhea stole down the mountainside to the swinging golden cradle and took her son down into the fields. She gave him to a shepherd family to raise, promising that their sheep would never be eaten by wolves. Here, Zeus grew to be a beautiful young boy, and Kronos, his father, knew nothing about him. Finally, however, Rhea became lonely for him and brought him back to the court of the gods, introducing him to Kronos as the new cupbearer. Kronos was pleased because the boy was beautiful. One night, Rhea and Zeus prepared a special drink. They mixed mustard and salt with the, next, with the nectar. Next morning, after a mighty swallow, Kronos vomited up first a stone, and then Hestia, Demeter, Hera, Hades, and Poseidon, who being gods, were still undigested, still alive. They thanked Zeus for the they thanked Zeus and immediately chose him to be their leader. Then a mighty battle raged. Kronos was joined by the Titans, his half brothers, huge, twin.
twisted, dark creatures, taller than trees, whom we kept pent up in the mountains until there was fighting to be done. They attacked the young gods furiously, but Zeus had allies too. He had gone to darker caverns, caves under caves under caves, deep in the mountainside, formed by the first bubbles of the cooling earth. Here, Kronos thou, thousands of centuries before, a short time in the life of a god, had pent up other monsters, the one-eyed cyclopes and the hundred-handed ones. Zeus unshackled these ugly cousins and led them against the titans. There was a great rushing and a tumult in the skies. The people on earth heard mighty thunder and saw mountains shatter. The earth quaked and tidal waves rolled as the gods fought. The titans were tall as trees and old Kronos was a crafty leader. He attacked fiercely, driving the young gods before him. But Zeus had laid a trap. Halfway up the slope of Olympus, he whistled for his cousins. The hundred-handed ones, who had been lying in ambush, they took up huge boulders, boulders, a hundred each, and hurled them downhill at the titans. The titans thought the mountain itself was falling on them. They broke ranks and fled. The young goat god Pan was shouting with joy. Later he said that it was his shout that made the titans flee. That is where we get the word panic. Now the young gods climbed to Olympus, took over the castle, and Zeus became their king. No one knows what happened to Kronos and his titans, but sometimes mountains still explode in fire, and the earth still quakes, and no one knows exactly why. Hera Now these gods reigned for some 3,000 years. There were many of them, but 12 chief ones. Zeus married his sister Hera, a family habit. They were always quarreling. He angered her by his infidelities, and she enraged him with her suspicions. She was the queen of intriguers and always found it easy to outwit Zeus, who was busy with many things. Once she persuaded the other gods into a plot against him. She drugged his drink. They surrounded him as he slept and bound him with rawhide thongs. He raged and roared and swore to destroy them, but they had stolen his thunderbolt, and he could not break their thongs. But his faithful cousin, the hundred-handed Briarius, who had helped him against the titans, was working as his gardener. He heard the quarreling under the palace window, looked in, and saw his master bound to the couch. He reached through with his hundred long arms and unbound the hundred knots. Zeus jumped from the couch and seized his thunderbolt, and terrified plotters fell to their knees, weeping and pleading. He seized Hera and hung her in the sky, binding her with golden chains, and the others did not dare to rescue her, although her voice was like the wind sobbing, but her weeping kept Zeus away. In the morning, he said he would free her if she swore never to rebel again. She promised, and Zeus promised to mend his ways too. But they kept watching each other. Zeus was king of the gods, lord of the sky, 
The sister Demeter was the earth goddess, lady of growing things. His sister Hera, queen of the gods, was also his wife. His brother Poseidon was god of the sea. His other brother Hades ruled the dark domain and the underworld, the land beyond death. The other gods in the pantheon were Zeus's children. Three of them were also Hera's. These were Ares, the god of war, Hephaestus, the smith god, forger of weapons, and Ares, goddess of discord, who shrieks beside Ares in his battle chariot. The rest of Zeus's children were born out of wedlock. Three of them entered the pantheon. The first was Athene, and the story of how she was born is told in the next chapter. Athene Zeus was strolling on Olympus one morning and noticed a new maiden walking in his garden. She was Metis, a titaness, daughter of one of his old enemies, but the war was long ago and she was beautiful. He charged down the slope after her. She turned into a hawk and flew away. He turned into a hawk and flew after her. She flew over the lake and dived in and became a fish. He became a fish and swam after her. She climbed on the bank and became a serpent and wriggled away. He changed himself into a serpent and wriggled after her and caught her. And the two serpents plaited themselves into beautiful loops. After he left her, he heard a bird cry and a fish leap. And those wild sounds combined to become a prophecy, which the rattling leaves echoed. O oh, Zeus! Metis will bear a child, a girl child, but if she bears again, it will be a son who will dispose you as you dispose Kronos. The next day, Zeus walked in his garden again and found Metis there. This time, she did not flee. He spoke softly to her and smiled. She came to him. Suddenly, he opened his mouth and swallowed her afternoon he suffered a headache, the worst headache that any one god or mortal had suffered since the beginning of time. It was exactly as if someone were inside him with a spear, thrusting at all the soft places in his head. He shouted, her, he shouted for Hephaestus, who came rushing up with hammer and wedge. Zeus put his head on the anvil, and Hephaestus split the mighty skull. Then Hephaestus leaped back, frightened, because of the head sprang a tall maiden in armor, holding a long spear. This was Athene, the gray-eyed, the wide-browed, the manner of her birth gave her domain over intellectual activities. It was she who taught man how to use tools. She taught him to invent the axe, the plow the ox yoke, the wheel, and the sail. She taught his wife to spin and weave. She concocted the science of numbers and taught it to man, but never to woman. She hated Ares and took great pleasure in thwarting him on the field of battle. For all his mighty strength, she often beat him, because she was a mistress of strategy. Before battle, captains prayed to her for tactics. Before trial, judges prayed to her for wisdom. 
It was she who stated that compassion is the best part of wisdom. The other gods didn't know what she meant by this, but some men understood and were grateful. All in all, she was perhaps the best-loved god in the Pantheon. The people of Athens named their beautiful city after her. There are many stories about Athene, about her skill in battle, her wisdom, and her kindliness, but like the other gods, she was also very jealous. One of the best stories is that of Arachne. Arachne was a young girl who lived in Lydia, famous for its purple dye. Her joy was weaving, and she wove the most beautiful things anyone had ever seen. Cloaks so light you could not feel them about your shoulders, but warmer than fur. Tapestries wrought with pictures so marvelous that birds would fly through the window and try to eat the cherries off the woven bowl. She was a very young girl, and everyone praised her. And soon she began to praise herself. She said, I, I am the greatest weaver in all the world. The greatest since the world began, no doubt. In fact, I can weave better than Athene herself. Athene heard this, of course. The gods are very quick to hear criticism and very swift to act. So she came to earth, to the little village where Arachne lived. The girl was inside, spinning. She heard a knock at the door and opened it. There stood a lady so tall, so sternly beautiful that Arachne knew she must be a goddess. She was afraid she knew which one. She fell on her knees. Far above her head, she heard a voice speaking softly, saying terrible things. Yes, miserable girl, I am Athene. I am the goddess you have mocked. Is there any reason I should not kill you? Arachne shook her head, weeping. She could not answer. Very well, said Athene. Prepare yourself for death. You have defied the gods and must die. Then Arachne stood up and said, Before I die, great Athene, let me give you a present. She went in and took a lovely cloak she had woven and gave it to her and said, Take this cloak. It must often get cold up high on Olympus. This will shield you from the wind. Please take it. I am sure you have nothing so fine. Athene shook her head and said, Poor child, you are being destroyed by your own worth. Your talent has poisoned you with pride like the sting of a scorpion. So that which makes beauty bring death. But it is a handsome cloak, and I appreciate the gift. I will give you one chance. You have boasted that you can spin and weave better than I, than I who invented the loom, the distaff, and the spindle, and out of the fleece of the clouds wove the first counterpane for my father, Zeus, who likes to sleep warm, and dyed it with the colors of the sunset. But you say you can weave better than I. Very well. You shall have a chance to prove it. And your own villagers shall judge. Seven days from today we shall meet. You will set your spindle in that meadow, and I shall be in my place, and we shall have a contest. You will weave what you will, and I shall do so too. Then we will show what we have done, and the people will judge. If you win, I shall withdraw the punishment. If you lose, it is your life. Do you agree? Oh yes, said Arachne. 
thank you, dear goddess, for sparing my life. It is not yet spared, said Athene. The word flashed from village to village, and the time came not only Arachne's neighbors, but all the people in the land had gathered in the great meadow to watch the contest. Arachne's house was the last in the village and faced a great meadow. She had set up her loom outside the door. Athene sat on a low, flat hill overlooking the field. Her loom was as large as Arachne's cottage. The girl went first. At the sight of her sitting, spinning there in the sunlight, the crowd pushed in so close she hardly had room to work. Her white hands danced amongst the flask flax, and she worked so quickly, so deftly, that she seemed to have forgotten the loom and to be weaving in the air, swiftly and more swiftly. She tapped on the wool with her fingers, making it billow and curl, then rolling it quickly into a ball, then shaking it out again, straining the wool into long, shining threads with quick little pokes of her thumb at her spindle. It was said that her working was as beautiful as her work. And when she was told that she always smiled and said, it is the same thing. So she wove and the people watched. Then the finished cloth began to come from the loom and everybody laughed to see. For they were joyous scenes, morning scenes, a little boy and a little girl running in a green field among yellow flowers, chased by a black dog, a maiden, at a window dreamily combing her hair, a young man watching the sea, counting the waves, and later, in a purple dusk, that same young man and girl standing under a tree, looking at each other. Swiftly and more swiftly the white hands danced between loom and spindle. She wove bouquets of flowers for the wedding, and a wedding gown for the bride, and a gorgeous cloak for the young husband. And remembering what Athene had said before, she spun a counterpane for the bed. Each square not a block of color, but a little picture, one from the childhood of the man, one from the childhood of the bride, altogether mixing as their memories would mix now. The counterpane was last. When she arose and snapped it out, the people gasped and laughed and wept with joy. And Arachne curtsied toward the low hill, and Athene began to spin. The goddess had conjured up a flock of plump, white, woolly clouds about her hilltop, so she did not have to comb fleece or draw thread. She used cloud wool, the finest stuff in all the world, and she dyed it with the colors of the dawn, and the colors of the sunset, and the colors of sleep, and the colors of storm. Now the whole western part of the sky was her loom. She flung great tapestries across the horizon. Scenes from Olympus, things that mortal man had never hoped to see, almost too terrible to see. Chronos cutting up Uranus for the scythe, Zeus charging across the firmament with his hundred-handed ones, shattering the titans. The binding of Zeus, the punishment of Hera, Zeus chasing Zeus chasing Metis as a hawk and fish and snake, then the birth of Athene herself, springing from Zeus's broken head, then more quiet scenes, Athene teaching the arts to man, teaching him to plow, to sail, to ride in chariots, teaching the women to spin, 
Then finally, meddling it all up, poking her long spindle among the woven clouds and mixing them and stirring up a dark, strange picture. The picture of man, man growing huge and monstrous, his trees turning to spikes, his fields to stone, swollen and dropsical with pride, building something so loathsome he had to live away while he was making it. This was too much for the multitude. The vast crowd fell on its knees and wept. Arachne was watching. She had never moved from the time Athene had started to work, but stood there straight with pale face and glittering eyes watching. And when the people fell on their knees, she turned and went away. She walked quietly to a grove of trees and there took a rope and bank and hanged herself. Athene came down from the hill and spoke no word to the people who dispersed. Then she went to the grove and saw Arachne hanging there. The girl's face was black, her eyes were bulging, her hair was streaming. Athene reached her long arm and touched the girl on the shoulder. The face grew blacker, the eyes bulged more, the body shrank, the arms and legs dwindled and multiplied. Then Athene touched the rope. It shriveled, growing thinner and thinner, until it was a frail, shining strand. And there at the end of the shining silken hair swung a small, hairy creature with many legs. It looked at Athene, then turned and scuttled up its thread, drawing it up as it climbed. It floated away over the grass until it came to a low bush, cast another loop, and sat there practicing. For it knew that now it was meant to spin without rivalry until the end of time. That is why spiders are called arachnids by those who know them best.